Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time, work, Friends, family, expect you to be on 24-7? Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, you guys, what's going on? Welcome to the midweek edition of the Temple of Food podcast. Uh, I am your co-host, uh, Coach Maples, a.k.a. Jay Mapes. I said Coach Maples on purpose because Nikias is here, and he is a, res, uh, a resident 2K hater on my Twitch screens about my strategy. So that's that's our guest here. We got the great uh, Nikias Duncan. Nikias, what's going on with you, man? Not much, man. Actually, <laughs> let, let's start right there. Like, Do you want to <laughs> tell the people why I quote-unquote hate on you on 2K? Um, so I have forgot. I, I'm in a 2K league with some friends. I forgot about the rotation option and I was letting the computer completely handle my subs and I was getting a lot of all bench lineups in pressure situations in the game. So <laughs> it, it was looking bad on, on the stream sometimes, but we got that rectified. So uh, we we are back. So there, I, I, I admit so just, it. To, just to make sure people heard you <laughs> that we had, uh, we had Doc Maples running a team <laughs> with his all bench lineups. Uh, do you want to talk about the GM side too, or are we we just sweeping that under the rug? Uh, that's kind of embarrassing in retrospect because I did not win a championship, <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna uh, skip over that. I did make a questionable trade, so uh, you know we're gonna let that let sleeping dogs lie though. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> we are here because uh, Nakias put a very well. To him, it wasn't spicy. To me, it was a, a spicy take, and he got, of course, the probably the largest section of the NBA Twitter route-up, which is Laker fans, uh, when he suggested that Duncan over Shaq, Tim Duncan over Shaquille O'Neal was not a hot take. Uh, it was like a clear thing. So before I respond to guys, I want to give you the opportunity to, you know, talk about the context of what you were saying and explain why to you it's clearly Duncan. So take the floor, brother. Okay, so the prompt that I saw, it was some kind of graphic. It was like, who would you want to start a team with in today's NBA, if I had the wording right? And it was between Duncan and Shaq. So I originally quoted the graphic, and I said Duncan. And early on, I get comments like, okay, yeah, I get, I understand what you're saying. Other side comments like, nah, it's Shaq. The man's going to shoot like 90% from the field. I'm like, all right, cool, whatever. <laughs> so then more of the Shaq 
I guess I don't know if a certain portion of Lakers Twitter finally saw it or whatever. Because, like, it was very cordial at the very beginning. Yeah. But soon after, like, quote tweets started rolling in, and it's like just basically some semblance of this dude's tripping or whatever. So then I comment under my response, like, surely dunking over Shaq isn't a hot take. Like, I understand taking Shaq. But, like, I don't understand why it's being viewed as disrespect to take Tim Duncan. Like, these are both conservatively, like, top 12 players ever. Like, this ain't... Right, right, right. Right, like, this this ain't, like, someone is... I just I just didn't get that part. Like, even if you take Shaq, I don't think Shaq is, like, two tiers above Duncan to where it's laughable. So, like, that just kind of confused me. Okay, so and, I... Okay, that's why I asked you. I, I kind of misread, because when you said it's not a, it's a hot take, you made it seem like it's just clearly Duncan. And that's why I was like, ooh, I don't know about that. I, it's definitely a discussion, because where I am with it is... At the peak, I don't think they're at peak for peak. I think maybe there's two players in NBA history you probably take over Shaq. We're just talking peak, mm-hmm. and that's obviously I, I, I just two, just his peak. That '99 2000 season, the first champion, I think is probably one of, you know, I'm, I'm 35. That's probably one of the top three most dominant individual seasons I've ever seen in, in the NBA in, in my time watching my early 90s since I started watching uh, mm-hmm. NBA basketball. Um, Longevity, I'll give it to Duncan. Shaq just did not take care of his body. It was a source of the little rift they had between him and Kobe. So that's where I kind of am with the two. It's splitting hairs. I think at the peak, you got to kind of lead Shaq just because of how he he broke the game essentially from a tempo and how you had to defend standpoint. Mm-hmm. So, but the caveat here was in today's game. So talk about why Duncan to you probably translates to today's game better in your opinion than Shaq like for me well first just to bounce off your point like I agree like Shaq's peak was higher than Duncan's I don't think anyone would debate that portion but I did feel like once we started getting into Duncan versus Shaq on the timeline like the original prompt of the of the draft <laughs> lost. was lost so I'm just like <laughs> this ain't even what we talking about like I'm not debating their careers but with it being in today's NBA like this is a spacier league like I don't subscribe to the thought that Shaq is unplayable like Shaq didn't defend like Duncan and I don't think he brought it consistently like Duncan did, but like, he's still a massive human being early in his career. <laughs> right, he could still right. move like at bare minimum, Shaq would be like a very good drop defender. So like, I don't think he would be unplayable at all. But with that being said, like Tim Duncan may not have been peak Shaq offensively, but I feel like he was 90, 95% right. of that. <laughs> I agree. Like just an elite, Low post guy, a guy you can run offense through in the high post. Had a little bit of a mid-range game. Good passer. You can't double him because he's going to pick you apart that way too. So, like, you just have <clears> – <throat> I feel like you have a little bit more variety on offense and more so defensively. Like, I don't think there's a coverage Duncan couldn't play. Like, I was looking at <clears> – this was even before this prompt came up. I can't remember how Tim Duncan became a top on the timeline. This particular <laughs> side. But, like, I just pulled up synergy, just pulled up, like, some some defensive clips from Duncan from the 13-14 season. And watching, I think it was Spurs Thunder I was watching. Okay. And, like, they're asking Tim Duncan to show and recover on pick and rolls being ran by KD and stuff. And I'm just like, the fact that you could even ask him to do that at darn near 40 years old. Yeah, he's, he's, he's 36, 37, 38 at that. So, yeah, that's, that's yeah, good. Like, the fact that you can even ask him to do that and not be super worried, I think, is a testament to how good he was at his peak. Like, it's a shame that he wasn't 
a defensive player of the year winner at any point of his career because he should have a few of them, in my opinion. But at any rate, my thinking was I think you can do a lot more defensively on Duncan. Like, maybe Shaq isn't unplayable, but I would at least have some questions about, you know, if they if whoever whatever team he's on, if you have to face a Dame, if you have to face a Steph, if you have to face a Trey if he's in East or whatever, like <clears> – <throat> At the very least, you have to say, hmm, what happens if we bring him up to the level of the screen? Like, he might still be fine, but you still have to worry about it. With Duncan, it's just whatever. Drop, cool. I hear you. Play to the level, cool. Hedge and recover, cool. Like, maybe not the switching, but even then, Pete Duncan could move a little bit. So, like, it's still – I don't think that would have been a dumpster fire. Like, we talk about Rudy Gobert and how he's kind of starting to hold his own in space more than he has over the past couple of years. Like, I don't think Duncan would be worse than Rudy in those cases. Right. Just with his understanding of angles and stuff. So I'm just looking at, like, I would rather have that guy. Like, I might not get 35 and 15 from Duncan, but I might get 27, 12, and 6, and then do whatever I need him to do on defense. And I'll just take that. Well, in the playoffs, you might. Duncan was Duncan was big time in the playoffs. We need, yeah. We could definitely. But my, my thing with Shaq is, it's just, you watch old games when he's was in shape, <laughs> when it was big to him. It just he just kind of broke the game. It's just like you just couldn't play. Like you had, and the way these teams like to play with these smaller, it's just impossible to play small against him. You just you just couldn't. That guy's picking up three fouls, or he is just getting scored on every time. Like he just Shaq was just so proficient on the right block with the with the little jump hook or the, or the drop step on the other one. It's just I, I find it hard to to believe he he's not a at his prime a, in the conversation for the best player in the league. And Duncan would be too, in, in my opinion. Um, defensively, I look at guys like you know Jokic being able to kind of not be be a plus regardless. You know what they put him in, with how good he is offensively. Obviously, I look at you know Embiid. Embiid's actually a good defender, good to great defender, depending on what you ask him to do. So that's kind of how I look at you know how Shaq would fit in, and I think just the offensive dominance that he would bring, and then you surround you surround him with shooting is tough to. You know, it's tough to keep that team from being an elite offense, in, in my opinion. So, I just wanted to, you know, get your your thought process on that. I, I do agree with the Duncan being a much better defender over the course of the year. It's just it's not that Shaq was bad; it just wasn't a real big focus for him. So, that's kind of where I where I was with that. Um, where I want to go with here is so talking about Shaq and, and Duncan. If they were to, let's say, switch, right? You put Shaq in San Antonio, Tim in L.A., do you think, how do you feel about that? Like, how does that work out since we were comparing the two? Uh, well, like, my initial thought is Kobe's never going to threaten to leave. Like, <laughs> they just would have played together forever. <laughs> like, just – and I say this as praise to Duncan, not as a knock on Shaq. Right. This is purely a Duncan thing. The combined basketball IQ of Kobe and Tim Duncan for like 15, 20 years together would just be absurd. Man, like I, I would just from a nerdy basketball standpoint, I would love to watch those two just dissect opposing defenses. That's a great point you bring up because somebody who was a teenager – early teens when that uh, Kobe Shaq dynamic happened in the early 2000s, it was funner watching Kobe Powell in 2009, 2010. So they, they weren't a dominant, but I'm saying as far as the offensive dominance, the way they played off each other, 
from mm-hmm. this aesthetically, it was, you know, further to watch. And I say that as a Laker fan watching both, but just Shaq's dominance is just, you take that every time. I was just speaking as far as the wavelength that Kobe and Powell had. Right, right. By the help that they actually, you know, liked each other. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that, I just don't think that would have been an issue at all. Right. Like, I think just by virtue of them being on the same wavelength in terms of how they work and how they viewed the game, like, they probably have a higher ceiling together because they, I don't think they would break up. Yeah, that was, yeah, you know, we don't go down that road. That's kind of depressing for me, man. That Detroit series, that Detroit Lakers series. <laughs> like, that's that whole four series just wouldn't have happened. Yeah, that just, that's probably my bottom. Actually, I, I, the Celtics are my most disliked team. So the 08 is probably the most lowest I've been as a basketball fan. I, I don't think I wore green for a year. Like, that's how bad it was. Jeez. But yeah, man, this this Celtics stuff goes back. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's probably one of my lows as a like a, a pure you know Laker fan. So yeah, I, I agree with that. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Moving on to something, you know, we like to, our midweek episodes, we like to kind of go into NBA history or something on the side. But we also want to go back to what's going on today. Nakias wrote a very interesting article uh, recently about Jimmy Butler and how his return to a high borderline, you know, all NBA MVP play has kind of bullied the Miami Heat trying to get them where they were last year going to the bubble where they were an NBA finals participant. I read that article. I read it again before we got on just to review it. Something you pointed out to me at the end that you said at the end, it's like, I need to hear you explain this. Uh, you were in your diatribe, how good they were. I think it was a uh, 30 and was it 30 and tw- not 30 and 12 or something with, with Jimmy in the lineup was very high six and 12 without him playing. So like mm-hmm. the difference is like lottery team and fringe contender. And then you end the article with this team on all cylinders can beat anybody four times. And I need you to explain that. <laughs> I, I should have had the article up just like I had a direct quote. But at any rate, <clears throat> I I think all year Miami has just been trying to find some sort of rhythm, like between COVID, between just roster changes, between right. injuries. You, and you, you point all that out in the article too. So I, I want to be fair and say that. Right, right. So I think they've just been trying to find themselves all year long. And because they've been as inconsistent as they've been, it's been hard to have a bunch of faith in them because we're this late into the season they're still trying to find themselves. But the flip side to that is we saw what they did last year. We saw what they did last year. Right. Like when they do put it together, the way that they can adjust in the postseason, versatility they play with, the top end talent that they have, like Bam won them a series in the Eastern Conference Finals. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Butler was tremendous throughout that entire run and single-handedly won two games for Miami in the finals right. while they were shorthanded. So I'm just looking at that. <clears throat> I'm looking at the team they have now 
relatively healthy. Tyler Hero's back. He's starting to fire. Goran Dragic's starting to get it together. And Jimmy's been incredible in his own right. I'm just like, hey, if they're finally starting to click, they have high-end talent. They have an elite coach. They have depth. They now have the ability to be a little bit more versatile. Like I think the Trevor Ariza acquisition midseason has been huge for him. Like they have, yeah, I agree. I agree. They have stashed him on point guards on purpose, just so we can be like, okay, cool. If you want to run a pick and roll with your primary ball handler, now you're gonna we're gonna switch that with Ariza. <laughs> right. He's gonna be on your big man, six eight seven two seven three wingspan, whatever it is. And now your point guard has to try to get by Bam. So good luck running your offense through your primary. So the fact that they can go as multiple as they do, they have the high-end talent, they have the supporting pieces that they have when they're healthy. Like, I think I phrase it like this is a team that nobody wants to see. Yeah. That nobody wants to see. And, like, they can beat anyone four times. Right. And and that is – I'm a little nervous because, um, I mean, you, you know this. I think we, we had a run-in based on this guy. I'm a big Julius Randle fan. And mm-hmm. I picked the Knicks to win a playoff series. Unfortunately, they might run into Miami. And that kind of scares me because that's the one team. Like, I thought they could beat Boston. I'm I'm confident they'll beat the Hawks just because the matchups I've seen this year. You know, I watch I don't watch as much Miami as you, so I'm going to ask this question after, but I do watch a lot of Knicks games. I saw the Hawks games. I think the Knicks are a better team in that series just the matchup-wise. They don't have anything for Julius, in my opinion, and they have enough to make it kind of tough for Trey. I like the bigger guards they have. Um I love – my. I think Miami has the defensive – capability to defend any of those top-end teams, even Brooklyn, with the switchability and Bam on the floor. Philly, obviously, I think I think they make Simmons – I think they make life hell for Simmons in a series. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then the third team is Milwaukee. Obviously, the wall, you see how Giannis responds to that. I think he's a little better, but I still think Spo is inventive enough to make it tough for him. So my issue with Miami is on the other floor. In the article, you know that they have gotten better offensively. Do you mm. think it's enough to score with Brooklyn and Milwaukee? Well, Philly's not great offensively, but you have to I mean, you have to score a certain amount of points to beat Brooklyn and, and Milwaukee. So where are you with the matchups with those two teams, potentially, if it comes down to that? Right. Like, it's funny that Miami's kind of picked up the way they have. I'm, I think the stat is they have the – I want to say the fifth or the sixth best offensive rating since April. Yeah, it was they've there. been they've been awful all year long. Yeah. <laughs> like the offense is flipped, and now the defense is like bottom third during that stretch. So it's just like what's crazy happening right now. So they're still trying to get it, but I think the help has been huge for him. As far as the potential matchups, like I think they have pathways to score against anybody. Um, I saw Bam, when, I saw Bam against Brooklyn. So <laughs> yeah, like Brooklyn just doesn't have the horses in terms of defensive personnel. With Philadelphia, I mean, you mentioned the Simmons quote-unquote issue. Uh, that'd be more offensively, just trying right. to figure out what his role would be because Miami can defend. But even then, they've they've shown more comfort playing Joel Embiid a little bit higher. Like, he's not trapping or blitzing or anything like that, but he is playing a little bit closer to the level of the screen there. But ultimately, he's still a drop guy. So when you're playing drop in the postseason, like you're gonna have building shots. Like Miami can go empty corner, dribble handoff with Robinson and Bam whenever they want to. Right, right, okay. And if they don't play that the right way, it's Duncan flying off, or even if they say attach top lock him or whatever. Like Bam has gotten so comfortable taking those mid range jumpers, you can't really leave him alone like they could last year. Right. So like they're gonna have building shots there. With Milwaukee, they're switching more this year. This is why they, I mean, they've been my pick to come out the East all year, but they are still trying to hammer down the switches. 
So with Miami having the cutters that they do, Duncan Robinson's good, Jimmy Butler's good, Goran Dragic can back cut you whenever he wants to. Like there are avenues for those early slips, and they can kind of get you a rotation that way. And if they are playing drop again, they just go to Duncan Robinson, they just go to Tyler Hero. He's firing right now. They go Goran Dragic against drop. So they all have pathways there. So I think they have the ability to match up with just about anyone when they're firing on all on all cylinders. Uh, if you're asking me, like. Would they be favored against either of those teams? Like, I would just flat out pick them against Philly in the series. Like, I'll just throw that okay. out. There. <laughs> I would flat out pick them against Philly. With Brooklyn, I would pick Brooklyn, and I wouldn't be surprised if Miami could pull it off. Okay. And with Milwaukee, I would pick Milwaukee, but I wouldn't be surprised if Miami could pull that off. Like, they do have matchups to hammer home. So, basically, so basically it's essentially what you said where, like, they're a team to be dealt with. It's not like it's not a cakewalk playing against that team. Which yeah, is, like for yeah, for most of the year it's been this is the hierarchy in the East. You know, he kind of shuffled Brooklyn, Philly, um, Milwaukee all year long in terms of the seeding, but like this is the hierarchy and right. then there is a drop and then there are the rest of these teams in the playoffs. Right. So like now with Miami starting to get together, they are not necessarily in that tier, but they're starting to get to the top of that second tier. I agree. And I with agree. them having the matchups that they can attack, that's it just becomes tough from there. It got weird. You know, Boston losing Jalen, I think that effectively ended any dark horse chances they had. Right. You know, they, I think they needed both those wings to do it with the lack of personnel around them. Um, I just think Atlanta and, and New York don't have the experience, even though they're, they're having great seasons, you know, especially that turnaround from Atlanta is something. Uh, I never heard a guy get coach of the year votes after becoming a mid-year interim guy, but if anybody would, it probably could have been Nate. <laughs> yeah. So... That's why I think Miami at those lower seeds probably is probably a safest bet. Like I'm, I'm a big Julius Randle fan. His year has probably been the, you know, outside of being a Laker fan, probably the best thing about the season to me, just watching him finally become what I thought he could be as a player. Um, Can I jump in right there? Huh? Can I jump in right quick? Go ahead. When you say Julius Randle's becoming the player you thought he'd be, did you, you saw this kind of shot making from him? I saw the score. You know, I didn't see the three-point shooting. I saw the scoring and the playmaking. Because when okay. I remember watching at uh, Kentucky, just seeing this chubby guy who could who would trip, who could penetrate, and the passes weren't great, but you could tell he was looking like it wasn't predetermined what he was going to do. When I watched him at Kentucky, I was like, mm-hmm. I think he can be a playmaker. Because I remember Warriors Twitter the eviscerated this for me. I said, I think he can be. Draymond who can get you 20. And that wasn't a fun day on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Draymond's a Hall of Famer, right? He's he's the best defender in the league at this time, probably the best defender in his generation, all things considered, or in the conversation at least. So that didn't go fun. But aside from the three-point shooting, the tweets are there. Mm -hmm. Randall Island has been built. You know, people – Laker fans are, you know, notoriously homered, so I get why somebody gets laughed off. So when he's a Laker – it's like, ah, you think he's better than what he is. It's whatever. But mm-hmm. aside from three-point shooting, every, nothing else is surprising me. Gotcha. So that's that's kind of where I am. Real quick before we get out of here, I want to touch on one thing. Um, something that has bothered me the last couple of weeks, and I've seen you maybe been one or two tweets about it, is the discourse around Giannis. Because he's having a great year, probably will end up second in the MVP to Jokic. Um but this notion that he is not skilled or he hasn't gotten better, from what I've seen, he looks like a much better player than what I've seen last year in terms of footwork. And I think he's probably 
somebody tweeted this. He's mid forties for mid range shooting the last two months or something like that. So like you can see the the the, the scary hours approaching. Mm-hmm. Um, but it feels like an NBA Twitter once a player has a uh, has a uh, a label about him, it's extremely hard to shed that. And this mm-hmm. notion that he's not skilled and a wall is going to break him. I've said this a couple times. He looks different this year. He has to show it in the playoffs, obviously. But the fact he looks different if, you, if you're watching Milwaukee games. So how do you feel about just that discussion around Giannis and his overall development? Just real quick before we get out of here. It's, it's lazy. That's the, I yeah. think it's the real, it's, that's just kind of the heart of it. It's lazy. Like, because he is the caliber of player that he is, there's an expectation for him to accomplish things of his ilk. He right. has not done that. Um, whether or not you want to get into the context of why he hasn't done that is your prerogative. Like the people <laughs> that watch and want to have these discussions have it all the time. And we kind of understand where he's at. Others want to slander him, which is fine. But you have to first, when you hop into these conversations, you have to recognize where this person's mind is at. Like <laughs> if it's just a jokes over facts type deal, I'm just, I'm just bowing out. Like unless I'm in that type of mood. So it is lazy. Um, I guess if you look at Giannis's box score, like I don't think anything's going to pop out that sh- that screams improvement, but it's subtleties, right? It's yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, even when he does see that wall, it's him making kickout passes a beat earlier. It's him being a little bit more accurate. So instead of making the kick out to the corner and Chris Milton have to come here and make the catch and then dip and then shoot, now it's more right here. And it's not perfect, but that's an easier shot for him. So it's like it's stuff like that. He's improving in the margins. You can tell – with Milwaukee kind of shifting from five out to that four out one in, having a guy in the dunker spot, it has kind of forced him to develop some counters. Like, I think it's encouraging that he now has this, you know, he'll drive into the lane, kind of pivot, reverse, and toss in a fadeaway. Like, we saw that in the second the second Brooklyn game. The first Brooklyn game, I'm sorry, when he dropped 49 in, to where he, like, sprinkles in a fadeaway over DeAndre Jordan early in that first quarter. It's like, oh, this is going to be one of those games. Yeah, that those two games really raised my eyebrows. Like, if Brooklyn, they just they just don't have anything for him. And that feels like it's one of those things that gets worse as the series goes on because his confidence only gets higher. Right, he right. He realizes there's nobody on that team that can think about stopping me. And they don't even have the personnel to try to execute what, you know, Toronto and Miami, you know, pulled off successfully. And I even think with Drew Holiday – Mm-hmm. It might not be as you know effective, so that's like Milwaukee's scaring me. Like I'm holding on to my Philly pick by a nail, just out of pride at this point. Everything is screaming that it's not gonna happen. Yeah, <laughs> it's all pride right now. But I just I I, I think Embiid there's a path because I think Embiid kind of has his way against Brooklyn, but mm-hmm. the, the Bucks are legitimately scaring me. So I just wanted to get your your kind of thoughts about what you know they were doing differently. I like the four out one in point versus five out. I think that's helped him a little bit and, you know, kind of made Giannis' development, you know, come along as you pointed out. So, you know, that's kind of where I was going to discuss that real quick. So make sure you are listening every week to Nikias' pod with former, you know, NBA employee Steve Jones. Steve Jones has worked in film, coaching, all the above. Um, I honestly learn so much listening to, to those guys every week, uh, Monday morning. It drops. They usually have some mid one. Yesterday they had Chris Herring from Sports Illustrated, right? Si, mm-hmm. yeah. And they had him on. That was great to uh, view live. They're doing big things. It's honestly my favorite pod this year, uh, despite the puns uh, that coming every. What <laughs> 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 you what you get past that is this is this a special podcast. I can't wait to see what you guys do with that man. I think you guys got something great going on. I tap in 
every week. And I just, you know, it's just learning experience for me, honestly. I'm learning so much. So that is dope. Make sure you follow Nakias NBA uh, on Twitter. Make sure you follow and subscribe this pod. Um, rate, give us feedback. We appreciate that. We have another uh, mailbag episode coming up soon. That was really fun uh, with you guys. Um, Nakias, do you want to apologize to for any Brandon Ingram or Lonzo Ball slander before we get off the air? Wow, this is this how we end the pod, huh? I, like I no, I, I don't have anything to say right now. I think Lonzo is a good player. I think Brandon Ingram is also a good player. I also think they have very clear flaws that they have to work through. And uh, I'm interested to see where Lonzo ends up, and I want to see how Bi builds on this year because it's been uneven to be kind. Roster construction. <laughs> All right, man. I, I, I don't want to end on the side, though, man. Follow the guy CBA on Twitter. <laughs> Follow myself, JJ Mables 55 underscore MST. We appreciate you guys. Be nice to somebody. Show love and everything. And we are out of here. <laughs>